This is Everyday Driver, where we know cars are expensive and necessary and have to do a world of things. But we also believe they should be fun. Whatever you need and can't afford, we're here to help you find the right car. We're your car friends, your car therapists, and sometimes the bad influence you need. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate. Hello, everybody. Happy Tuesday. We are back in the studio, as you can obviously tell, because we were gone all last week on the first road trip of the year. It's a lot of fun, really hot, but good news. Both cars did spectacularly well. Mm -hmm. No issues whatsoever. Mm -hmm. We got great footage. We went to lots of national parks. We had a lot of different stops, too. We saw all sorts of things on this trip. I think this is the trip that has surprised me the most. Oh, yeah. In what as, way? as far as just some of the roads, we were like, well, this road's great. Who knew this road was going to be? I mean, because yes. thankfully we've had this on every one of our road trips because we try to plan interesting roads that'll be unique. But this one, I mean, like exceeded expectations on a road. Like, oh, it looks like a pretty good road. And got on it. was like, this is a great road. <laughs> Fantastic. So it's really fun. Where's all the cars? How come nobody's yes. discovered this road? Well, that's the thing about yes. it. I was actually really worried because it was midsummer that we were going to be like sitting and stop and go. And there was none of that. Yeah. I mean, the monuments were crowded. There's well, summer traffic. Were. Yeah. Yeah. Of course thing, they were. Yeah. The Roads it was great. Spectacular. Can't wait to share that. That's coming up in a few weeks. We have a big piece we're shooting in the next couple of weeks that we can't even tell you about yet. Mm. But it's a big yeah, piece we've been working awesome. on for a while. More yeah. than two or three years we've been, working we've on been this particular with idea. with this one idea, and we finally yeah. pulled it off. Of course, we keep cranking stuff out to test drive. That is cranking something out every single Sunday and often on Wednesdays for POVs. And when we drop this big road tour... Mm-hmm. That will also be on a Sunday. We'll give you a lot of lead time. That'll be original channel on Sunday because then it'll be a longer piece. Give you some time to watch it. Our friends at blipshift.com, they have got under our partner store, Brave the Elements 5, the mm. shirt celebrating all four generations. That is currently available about four, three or four more days. Their stuff is so fun. It, it's made. We still have quite a few cool shirts coming out. So you and I, I think check that out. I think we wore Blipshift shirts exclusively for our entire last road trip on camera. Yeah, I'm telling I you. Blipshift shorts and pants. Then that completely. <laughs> It's the wardrobe. I'm telling you, I'm ready for pants. It's car wash season. Always wash your car in a cool, shady spot and use Griot's Garage Brilliant Finish Foaming Sprayer with Snow Foam. Griot's has also just introduced the Cordless Foaming Sprayer as well. You can create a high foam blizzard with little to no work and avoid wash-induced scratches. These are the safest ways to wash your ride. If you need to get the bugs off the front of your car, try the bug and smudge remover right before you wash. There's also tar and sap remover if you parked under a tree. Griot's offers wash and detail kits, which make it easy to get the right products all together. Whether you need a starter car care kit, or you're breaking out the foam cannon, or you're detailing your interior, Griot's has the right kit for you. Griot's garage products are 100% guaranteed and all liquids are made in the USA. When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, use the code EDRIVER for 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else on your order. That's G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. Our Topic Tuesday comes to us from Alex M., who writes to us just recently, asking how much should the roads that we drive on most frequently dictate which cars we choose Mm. to buy? It's made me think of different continents where cars are built Alex, thank you so much for writing. He says, as car enthusiasts, many factors are taken into account when deciding on which car to purchase as the fun toy. But one factor he doesn't think gets talked about enough are the kinds of roads that Mm. those fun cars are driven on for the majority of the time, and it might not always be tracks. So back in 2019, Alex purchased a new 2019 Fiesta ST, Mm -hmm. wanting to experience Ford's excellent hot hatch before they were discontinued. He loved that car so much. It's still the best handling car he's ever driven. And it's a great car. That's high praise. But it's 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 a genuinely great car. Yeah. Wow. It put a smile on his face every time he drove it. But he lives in the southeast Michigan area. Mm. So Mm. the vehicle's stiff suspension, he writes, began to become more of an annoyance than a virtue. Yeah. Okay. Fair. And at one point, his girlfriend even said she felt sick after a (laughs) 40-minute drive to the airport. What's your girlfriend's car? I would love to know what she's <laughs> yes. used to because the Fiesta ST was True. a totally different category for her, clearly. Since those roads he drove the car on were mostly straight and very rough, yes, Southeast Michigan roads, he came to the conclusion that he felt he wasn't able to enjoy the Fiesta's handling characteristics on a consistent basis. Mm. And then he thought about where we live in Utah. We've got these incredible mountain roads that would take him a day's drive to get to something equivalent. Yes, Alex, keep in mind that for six months out of the year, they are not open because they're True. covered in snow. Yes, they're very so, inaccessible. Yes, yes, they are awesome. <laughs> Although your roads are a lot of snow there too. 
In Pennsylvania, he says he can find some good roads. Michigan just doesn't have those roads where a great handling car's qualities, mm. just like an 86, can be explored. So that led him to sell the Fiesta and buy a 2021 Mustang GT six-speed. What I like here is you didn't say, it led me to sell the Fiesta and buy a crossover. Well, yes, that's thank what you I was actually, that. That's the, the way I expected that sentence to unfold. So you actually got yourself a big V8 rear-wheel drive fun car, and you said it doesn't have what you describe as the giggle factor of the Fiesta, I think you mean in the corners, mm-hmm. but that V8 power and the sound along with rear-wheel drive handling rotation, he said it makes it a genuinely fun car in his life and in the ways he drives it. It also has a softer suspension than the Fiesta, which is very interesting. This is the Mustang GT, by the way. Mm-hmm. Softer yeah. ride also has a longer wheelbase, which helps. So that actually has helped you a lot when driving on Michigan's rough roads. You feel like the Mustang is better suited for you in your environment than the Fiesta. I kept thinking about on this road trip, these two cars, the, the Elise and the Corvette, mm-hmm. they were spaceships. We kept talking about yes, it, how for fun sure. it was for to sure. see these cars mm-hmm. where these particular cars aren't seen very often. The Elise was this yellow thing dropped out of the sky. It was a different planet. We were both the utter oddballs in every yeah. single parking lot. We came back in Pretty one funny. parking lot. We didn't get this on camera. We came back in one parking lot, and as we came around the corner, there were people gathered around taking pictures of our cars mm-hmm. in the parking lot mm-hmm. because it just so happened that the cars around us had pulled away and so you could see our two cars in the monument behind and <laughs> people were taking pictures of our cars when we walked up and they were like oh sorry it's like don't i'm not don't apologize yeah, but it's fu- just funny that it happened alex poses the topic how much should these roads dictate the cars that we choose to buy mm. is alex missing out on not experiencing a car like an elise or like an 86 because he'll never be able to enjoy those cars to their fullest potential given the kinds of roads that he'd be driving on most of the time. I like your thesis here, Alex. I like that you're thinking about this, and yes, area of the country, area of the planet, Mm -hmm, very mm -hmm. much dictates the kind of car that you buy. When it comes to fun cars, you should give yourself more of a pass. What I'm hearing is this fun car is also your daily. Yep, for sure. When you're rocking a Mustang, yeah, Detroit makes sense. It, I mean, for all the reasons that they're they're built right there in Southeast Michigan, you know, the <laughs> River Rouge plant, yeah. they're built yeah, there, yeah. yes. I think about countries on a, on a larger basis, you know, the kinds of scale and size and type of cars. So when a car manufacturer comes out with a larger thing, Toyota is a great, a great example building their Tundra in Texas, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in yeah. San Antonio. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. They could just sell the Tundra in Texas only (laughs) and do fine with it. That will never be seen in Japan. Built here, sold here, done. No, I don't think Toyota executives even want that car to be exported outside of Texas. No, I mean, the the market's there. It's made for that. It makes all kinds of sense. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't allow yourself, especially your fun car. I can completely see it from a daily standpoint. Mm, mm. I totally see it as all right, I got to just get something that will deal with the rough roads and I don't have to worry about low profile tires, you know, thin sidewalls. Sure, yeah. This takes me to work and errands and that kind of thing. And this is the tool for the job that you're identifying, Alex. But then when it does come to the fun car, this is the whole reason Todd and I are doing these road trips Mm -hmm. because it forces you to take your fun car in search of those great roads. Let's hope so. Yes, we have these great roads near us. Yes. And so all summer long, yes, we can drive those through the fall even. But then we want to go exploring and discovering great roads in places where you never thought those roads existed and they might not be mountainous areas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what we love. And that's we're doing that to force ourselves to not just rely on these roads near us and just say, well, they're covered. Mm -hmm. We're good. You know, you're in California, you're West Coast, you're Utah, Colorado. Sure, I don't have to ever venture out. We want to go seek out those Mm. other fun roads. But having that fun sports car means that level of compromise you're willing to take on to straight line, flat road trip, deal with that. And then once you get to the road and you've discovered it, ah. That's excellent stuff. And we have talked about this off and on a little bit before, Alex, that, that location is absolutely a factor. I mean, just like buying real estate, location, location, location. It is an issue, okay, about deciding. We've joked before about Hellcats in Texas. 
when you're in Texas and, butter you're, and, and, you're, and, jelly. and you're not in a Hellcat, you're driving around going, I really ought to be in a Hellcat. I, I should be in a I Hellcat. Mean, that, that I can see the horizon. Why am I not in a Hellcat? In 20 anything. miles from here, yes. I should be in a Hellcat. Also, this is the reason that pickups are wildly successful in Texas because massive air conditioners, big engines, we're going in a straight line. I don't have to corner. I'm really starting to see the air conditioner thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting on board with the air conditioner the, the, thing. Yeah, it's because you have a Chevy air conditioner for your first time <laughs> yeah, ever and you're going, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's I'm what that's about. It. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, we were in West Texas on our South trip with the 300 ZX and the 928 mm-hmm. and it was all massive pickups in white yeah. passing us we were doing 85 90 they would pass us like they were annoyed <laughs> because it was a straight line road and they had places to get to there's an oil field to get to i gotta get there so anyway yeah i mean subarus in the rockies okay mm-hmm. that's absolutely a locational thing dodge is built in detroit the, cor- the cars reflect that lotus is built in hethel england the cars reflect that British B roads. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So it, there's no question; it's a factor. But to something you said earlier, Paul, that is a big issue here, Alex, and that is there's a trade-off compromise. And I feel like you've kind of found yours with the Mustang, Alex. But I think the more you drive cars, I mean, keep in mind, I was raised in the land of the Chevy Caprice in Texas. Okay, which means big Chevy <laughs> the V8. The land of Caprice. The big Chevy V8 with the good air conditioner, right? And I'm driving it around on Texas roads. But then as you and I started to do this and I drove more and more things, what I realized resonated with me was small and lightweight, which is not Chevy Caprice thinking. No. We saw, by the way, a Chevy Caprice time machine. Todd freaked out, everyone. I, I, Todd I lost 100% his mind. freaked out. We were walking through the parking structure. Yes. We're on our way to see the monument and Todd loses it. What? What are you looking? I oh, it's a caprice. It was a time machine. I was like, <laughs> I was transported back a few decades. Photos, looking at in the inside. I could not believe how pristine this thing was. Keep in mind, not great, just pristine. Okay, <laughs> those those are diametrically opposed. Were they ever great? Anyway, yeah, that, this is the question. According right. to my father, yes. But the point is, right. what are the things you like about a car? Because if what if what you told me you really liked was small and lightweight with great handling, then you have the trade-off. And I just experienced this with the Lotus. How much are you willing to suffer for the fact that you enjoy that reality? Are you at a 23% suffer level? Seriously. Are you at a 34%? It's, it's a, we call it the spectrum of sacrifice. Yes. Because you know, on one level, you have a bunch of kids and a dog and, and life is happening to you. And things are going to get messy and you've got to go, I don't know, do whatever this weekend. This is why minivans exist and are awesome. Because you got to transport people and stuff and gear right up until that moment. Well, but here's the thing. Where you find the road. There's no sacrifice involved in the daily do stuff must transport us. No. But the minute you find yourself on a fun road, you're like, oh, man. But then there's the flip side, which is my Lotus, which is... It's like a person and a half capacity. Uh, my son is yeah. now almost the size of a full-size person. We're both kind of going, you're big now. You're, you're, you're <laughs> yeah. big, son. And also the, uh, the back of the Lotus is quite hot. Be careful, things might melt. I've had this experience before. Not but, might. Yes, well, you they know. They did. Yes, I've had, I've had two different experiences where rubberized, here's the thing I've discovered, rubberized things, things that got like cheaply rubberized, Yeah. you put them in the back of the Lotus and they get so hot that rubberized stuff, whatever it is, melts. It's not good news. Runny is the term. Yes, it's, it's all bad. But even though I just drove that car 2,000 miles, did I sweat a lot? Yes, I did. Was it quiet? No, it was not. Did I love it? Absolutely. <laughs> It is the spectrum of sacrifice discussion. What are the things you like most about cars and how much are you willing to have that in spite of your location? Sometimes they align. Hellcats in Texas, they align. You can drive a Lotus cross country. I saw people commute in a Lotus in Los Angeles, which as much as I like the Elise, sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah. When you have those moments when the things you like about the car still reveal themselves. I had this on this trip. I was realizing that you had all the power, Paul. I did have all the power. You had all all of the power. Yep. However, yeah. I realized how easy it was for me to dart through traffic. You were still very quick. Because I just had no weight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't have a lot of power, but I've just got, there's, the car will do anything immediately because there's no weight to haul around. Yeah, the, the semi-trucks so, were like lumbering elephants and yes. you were underfoot going... I was like a mosquito compared yeah, to them. Yeah, they're going, what now? What is this yellow Seriously. thing underfoot? It was amazing to me how even those little things I like about that car... When I wasn't playing to its strengths, I was still aware of those things. So if you find that stuff, Alex, if it were for you, the, the tight handling of a Fiesta ST, how much can you tolerate it? Yeah. Because you can have the out-of-place car, but there's a, there's a balance here. I mean, the roads matter. To answer your question directly, Absolutely they do. Alex, the roads matter 100%. But for the fun car, the thing that you reserved as your disease, the thing off in the corner here... 
if you've got great roads all the time, well, sure, you live in California, you live in Arizona, mm-hmm. you're in Texas. Sure, you can drive that year round. On the West Coast, you can take advantage of the roads. In Texas, you can't. Ultimately, your fun car should still be bought because you want it and because you mm-hmm. want to experience that. Mm-hmm. But then that's the next level. You have to go find something. You've, you've now got the obligation. We've talked about real estate before. We've suggested <laughs> consulting a realtor if you want to. <laughs> How do I get more, more good roads? Move. <laughs> so the seriously, the high end of this, the crazy aspirational high end is the people that keep a car somewhere. True, with their crazy house. We, we live in an area where that's common. Where Park City has a lot of people it that the house they live that is not their full-time house. Okay, Alex, get this. It doesn't even have to be a crazy house. It could be a storage unit. True. Somewhere. True. And yes. it doesn't have to cost, that yes. fun car doesn't have to cost a lot. What if you had that ST mm-hmm. and you're paying a couple hundred a month and that gets stored somewhere near a fun point. road? Interesting that is point. the low level version of having a fleet of cars in your fancy house on the other side of the planet. You know, that's not bad, actually. Now, you've really hit on something because you're reminding me of Cycle Report Nate. Mm-hmm. Nate, who's yes. done many, many bike reviews for us and keeps our writing going on our website. And that is still going, by the way, if you're not aware, it continues on the writings tab of our website. Some great writing goes on there. But Nate is a big time two wheel guy. Mm-hmm. He really likes his motorcycles. And and for years, he and his dad and his uncle, again, they live in Chicago, okay? So the roads that they want to drive are not near. They no. would ship their bikes to the fun roads. Yeah. And the bikes would be sitting there in a storage unit until the week or 10 days or two weeks or a month, depending upon their year, that they could go do the fun roads. And then they would fly to the bikes and travel on their bikes yeah. and then store them again. Yeah. And that is just genius. I hadn't even thought about that. I, that, that you, I'm, that's I'm, a great one. I'm I do thinking like of the it. lowest way to, yeah. to achieve yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. dream of my fun car is stored there because I don't need it near me where I actually mm-hmm. live because mm-hmm. there's no point. So I keep it in the warm weather and sure, I keep sure. it on the West Coast or mm-hmm. I, keep it in a, I keep it in a locker and I just show up and go for a drive and that's vacation to me. That's mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. It does cost more money because you have to transport yourself there. You have to get there. I do understand that. But compared to having a second house. (laughs) But compared to a GT3 dispenser in Germany. I mean, people people do keep their hot sports car Mm -hmm. near tracks. Mm -hmm. That's the other level. And that is, I pay a a company, a, a race shop. And they store my car and they'll have the tires. When I call and say, I'm going to be on track, they'll put the fresh tires on, whatever we've arranged, and they charge me a monthly fee and they have it prepped and ready. And that costs a lot of money. How about the lowest version of that? The the cheapest sports car you can find, a Fiesta ST, a Miata, a GT86, a something, and that just gets stored Mm. for most of the time. Didn't expect you to go there, but you're really resonating with me. Yeah. spending too much money here and it seems absurd but is it if this is our thing Mm, is it mm. is it that absurd as you say it though it keeps rattling around in my brain i think of all the variants we've heard of and the thing you just said about germany is true we have heard of people that actually have companies and what they do is they store people's cars at the ring yes and so that car lives there doesn't the need great to live thing, near them. Totally. The great thing about the ring is there's so much easy public access. It's not like, i got to wait for my track day. You come in for the weekend. Right. And you take right. your car and you drive it until the tires are done. And then you put it back in storage. And you fly back home. I, uh, this is. It sounds like crazy living. But the more we talk about it, the more I realize a lot of people that we know that have done it without having huge bank accounts. Mm-hmm. It's just they realize this is where the money's going to go. So let's do it right. Interesting. Sebastian K is in Delaware, mm-hmm. and he writes to us that he thinks we will think he's crazy. I don't know about that. I read this was like, yeah, I don't know. I think you may just be one of us, Sebastian. That's <laughs> True. really kind of my takeaway. Sebastian is 20 years old. Okay. He's been hit hard and heavy with the car disease. He only recently got into this culture only about two years ago. Wow, that's awesome. Sebastian, thank you for listening. He's been listening to us about a year on Apple Podcasts every time he drives anywhere. It's very cool. He loves everything mechanical. He will do any job himself because he loves to learn how to do new things. I love that mindset. So last year, he purchased a 93 Nissan Silvia, automatic, non-turbo model. By the way, that's a right-hand drive car. It is. <laughs> For those of you wondering, that it is. is. It's kind of like the Nissan 240, but they didn't sell it here in its right-hand drive. In the time he's had it, he has swapped it from automatic to manual transmission himself. He's put new wheels and tires on it, along with coilovers. Mm-hmm. 
He also has a turbo engine sitting in his garage that he plans to build. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> wow. He has greatly enjoyed the car, but wonders what else is out there. Because the catalog of cars that he's driven is very small, including an 05 Corolla manual, an 03 Acura 3.2 CL, and his friend's father's M2 competition with manual transmission. You've been forever ruined. That's a great car. You have, but here's the other thing I keep thinking about. That's the entire list of things you've driven. Just three that's well, four, three cars outside of your Silvia, which is essentially a Nissan 240. Now, the, the Silvia is a very cool chassis. Again, the 240 of that era is excellent. That is peak Nissan era. Mm, yeah, The 90s, that's, that's when they made the 300ZX. Really, really good products out of Nissan there, and I cannot take a thing away from them. But you have a four-car list of experience. Which is okay. That's Everybody absolutely has to start fine. somewhere. Absolutely. Here's the okay. thing. I'm not sure I'd driven all four of those cars that were that cool by the time oh. I was 20. But, yeah. but the point yeah. I'm making here is there's a lot of stuff out there. So this Sylvia was the first car Sebastian actually owned, and clearly he likes a car that has lots of character. Mm -hmm. As you said, Todd, it's right-hand drive. It's not something everyone sees. He loves having something different, which is why he stayed away from the, the Miata. Mm. So this is the part where we will think he's crazy. He likes having the most raw and engaging experience he can. He says maybe because he's young, maybe because his Sylvia's very stiff suspension doesn't hurt his back, besides the <laughs> longest of drives, but okay. he, he loves the feeling he gets when he goes around any and all corners. Mm, interesting. But he lives in Delaware, which is very, very flat, he writes, and has very few actual corners. He has concluded the car he wants is in a lease. Hello, I'm awake now. What? <laughs> He's watched all of the Elise content that we have, many other reviews, and he thinks it's perfect for him. By the way, there is a lot more Elise content coming because we're driving in a lot more this year. <laughs> anyway, yes. I don't think it's an age thing at all. And I love a very mm. raw car. Mm -hmm. I actually love the 914 which with the 930 engine in it. Mm. That was pretty raw and engaging, and I really liked that car. You know, it's funny that you bring that up because the last time my, my son and I were at Cars and Coffee, we went in the Elise. Okay. And he started telling me, my son started telling me how much he likes the 914. Oh, no kidding. And without me prompting how similar he thinks it is to the Elise. And I was like, buddy, I agree with you. I think it's the but, genesis but of the I was, But I was just struck by the fact that he was like, these are cool. Something about his Elise awareness <laughs> makes him look at the 914 differently than I think a lot of people do. Because a lot of people look down on the 914, which is yeah. a very interesting little yeah. chassis. But he was like, these are really cool. And I said, why? And he just went off, which clearly he's my son. But he was just talking about the connection to small, light cars. That's anyway, cool. Onward. I love that he's made the connection. And that car was provided to us from our friends at Griot's Garage, that black mm -hmm. 914, mm -hmm. two-inch roof chop, solenoids in the door, shaved yeah. handles. Yeah, canopy car. I wanted the two inches of roof back, by the way. But yeah, I know he did. I, I did too, <laughs> but I really like that. And that was just loud and raw and crazy. So that's what Sebastian wants. But he does realize, being a young adult, his insurance is already very high, and he mm. doesn't have the funds to afford an Elise. Plus, they've gone back up in value. Yeah, they're like they're like forty plus for a decent one. You That's get a amazing. really nice one. They're fifty plus for the longest time. You were just like thirty grand. You can for, have an Elise for a decade. Yeah. That was the case. Yeah. And here's what's crazier: I I rolled over seventy eight thousand miles, almost seventy nine, on this road trip. It's awesome. And I think I have one of the higher, not, not highest by any means, but one of the higher Elises you'll find in the country because most of the time people drive them occasionally because they're so raw. So you see them mm -hmm. with 20,000 miles, 15,000 miles. Right. And those are the ones that quote unquote people drive. Okay. <laughs> right. I rolled over almost Road 80 trip. and was like, yeah, here we go. <laughs> so Sebastian's question is this, should he save and save and save his money until he can afford the monthly payment? Or instead, he was thinking about buying an MR2 Spider as a second car to turn into a track weapon. Wait, you'd have the, the Sylvia, uh -huh. the, the rough Sylvia that you've built waiting for the turbo engine, uh -huh. and then you'd buy an MR2 Spider for the mm -hmm. track car. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. In either scenario, he can get rid of the Sylvia. He can keep it, though. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, since he doesn't have much experience driving other cars, he'd be open to suggestions and some drive homework from us. Okay. He says, just keep in mind he's young, he's 20, and he's 
ter been turned down for test drives at dealerships unless they run his credit to make sure he can actually afford the car. Mm -hmm. His list of must-haves are manual. He's willing to buy an auto, and then he would, of course, take it out and swap it <laughs> over. Manual. Auto only <laughs> if I could swap it. Yeah. Amazing dynamics, something engaging, Love something it. quirky, wrenchable. He says the Sylvia would be worth about fifteen grand if he sold it outright right now. He could have up to $5,000 saved up by the end of the year. So if we think it's better to wait for, for an Elise, he will wait. But his only thing is that many people say it isn't worth the extra cost over the MR2 Spider. He's not sure, which is why he's asking. He did mm. drive the Sylvia 20,000 miles this year. He drove the Sylvia to and from work every day. I love that. And he visits a buddy in Connecticut every couple of months when the weather permits. I, I, I'm going to jump into his, uh, his fighting word statement there at the end real quick, okay? <laughs> Thought you would. Uh, Sebastian, let me, let, me, let me just speak as the Elise owner who just spent 2,000 miles in mine, okay? <laughs> I love this car so much. And I know I've said that so much on this podcast and in videos that you guys are probably tired of Todd says again how the Elise is awesome. But for whatever reason, and we've talked about this. Look, we talked about it in the, in the Topic Tuesday at the beginning. This is the car that when I finally got there, I was like, oh, oh this is me. I've been driving all this stuff, mm. and I got here, and this is me. It may have started with Caprice Classics and all the other big stuff, and we've driven all these kind of other cars, and I got into a Lotus. was like, oh, 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 here we go. I found me. And every yeah. time I drive it, I'm just like, yeah, uh-huh. It's so great. It, which is really cool, and I hope all of you listening find that. Sebastian, I hope you find that. I'm glad that you're excited about the Elise, and that's really cool. I have heard from many people that the MR2 Spider is basically just an Elise. No, it's not. I me, cannot agree with let, that. Let, yes. let me tell you a couple of things. First off, please know, I love the MR2 Spider. We drove one in our 8,000 car comparison. I liked it a lot more than you did, Paul, I think because well, it connects to not 8,000 cars. $8,000 cars. Thank you. Yes. We drove 8,000 uh, cars. We, we, we have never no, driven we that not. many. It's just a few hundred a year. Anyway, you didn't like it like I did, but I really did feel the connection to the Elise. I understand why people say that. And the other thing that people say, and Sebastian, who has currently swapped things in his cars, is thinking about it a lot. You take out the one ZZ engine that it comes with, and you put in the two ZZ, which is in the Elise, and that's when everybody goes, "Look, I got an Elise for cheap." Right. How, however, which he could do. He's that guy. You can do it. You can do it. And and look, that car with more power, I get. It is an incredibly fun car. So those of you that are MR2 Spider fans, please hear me. I love that car. It's great. However, even with an engine swap, when you drive an MR2 Spider, you are driving a well done, excellent dynamics cheap Toyota. Hmm. You never really get away from the fact that you're driving a cheap Toyota product. It never feels elevated beyond that, even though it's great. Hmm. The Elise yeah. always feels like you're driving a cheap exotic. It is significantly okay. lower to the ground. Yes, yes. The design of it, it's so low to the ground. The design of it, with the way the fenders come up over the front wheels, has a very exotic feel that the MR2 Spider just can't accomplish. So that higher ride height, the the quality feel of the materials inside, even though, the, look, the Elise is... Uh, it's nothing compared to any actual exotic you would compare it to. I understand that the build quality and the materials aren't like that, but it's aluminum, it's leathers, it's stuff that doesn't exist and feel as nice in the MR2 Spider. It just doesn't in there. Mm -hmm. You could make mm -hmm. the nicest MR2 Spider on the planet and it doesn't have the special vaguely exotic feel that the Elise does. The dynamics might be there, the speed might be there. So they're not equivalent. However, back to you, Sebastian, I don't know that that matters. I think you'd probably be perfectly happy with an MR2. Oh, you do? I do. I think you'd love it. It's just, I want you to understand that I think the people that say, well, my MR2 Spider is just, a, just like an Elise, probably haven't driven an Elise. Mm. The steering's better. Mm. The, ride, the ride is better. The, the body position is better. It feels more exotic. It's a, it's a special car. Yeah. But the MR2 yeah. can't quite match, even though the MR2 has all the pieces and the dynamics, and you could even put the same engine in it. I think you'd thoroughly enjoy it, Sebastian, and you could get into one much easier you can get into a lease. Ultimately, what I am saying here is I don't think they're equivalent cars, but I don't think you need to hold out. I want to go further, but I, I want you to jump in here, Paul. I don't think you need to hold out for an Elise. I think there's lots of other stuff you could do now. Slight counterpoint. Okay, please. The Elise is a cul-de-sac car. Absolutely. 
there is no next step after Nalise. So I have an Elise, and I'm going to get a... Uh, 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 <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I do. I, I mean, know exactly are, what you're saying. Yes. There's a few on the list, the Caterhams and the Ariel Adams, and then you go up to BAC Mono, and then we're not talking about the same money anymore. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, but a lot of the other cars you mentioned are even harder to daily than the Elise. Yes. yes. Sebastian, I just I feel like you would spend a lot of time and energy and money buying everything else mm. And trying to make it what an Elise already is. Okay, fair. And also, an Elise doesn't need to have anything done to it. It doesn't need to be made better and still mm, we're still mm. going. That is the difference with an Elise. All mm-hmm. these other cars that you've named, sure, let's do an engine swap. Sure, let's yeah, do yeah, you fair, know, all those fair, things. Fair. Now, I do know you have coilovers on your Elise, and that did, does yeah. make a lot of difference. But more than that... There doesn't need to be like, let's put a ton more power into this yeah. thing and make it a wide body kit. And if only you did blank, an Elise would be good. There is nothing on that list. That's yeah. the, the thing you're going to have to realize, Sebastian, mm-hmm. is once you do get to an Elise, and I believe you will have one in your life, whether it's now, whether it's later, nothing needs to be done to that car. And I mean fair. nothing. That's a lot for you to say, but I take your point. I do. You take don't your need point. to mod yeah. it. Yeah. You don't need to go further. It's so lightweight. You could <laughs> drag your knuckles on the ground and stop the thing. <laughs> practically. Don't do that, by the way, but you practically do, could. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, totally. You don't need to, yeah. now we need to manual swap. No, it's got a manual. Man, we need to make it have huge brakes. No, it's super light. It will break just fine. <laughs> by on the way, track, on street. I just put power stop brakes on my Elise. How were they, by the they way? They were very good because I realized that the last round had started to get a little wooden. Mm, and I always okay. felt like this should stop better. I went back through my records. You know, the last time I did brakes on that car, I've put 25,000 miles in that car in the almost six years I've owned it. I guess six years I've owned it. Last time I did brakes was when I bought it. Oh, really? Yes. I bought it in the, in the middle of the summer of 2017. I have done road trips, track days, 25,000 miles. I have done a lot of hard driving on that car. And I realized it's one of the things I reached out to our friends at PowerStop because I was like, guys, I need brakes because it's been a, well, it's been the entire time I've owned the car. Amazing. Yes. But that's what I love. And that's what I love about our friends at PowerStop. It is a plus one upgrade for an yes. OEM price. It needed new brakes, right? Uh, it, it, you <laughs> needed to put new brakes on the- I just realized, looking back, I was like, has it really been since I bought the car? Yes. But you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't mm-hmm. need a giant rotor size no. change. It doesn't need to upgrade from your stock configuration. No, it doesn't. It definitely needs new pads, but I'm telling you, it doesn't go through yeah. all the consumables like crazy, like all these other cars. And Todd, I, I know you appreciate the speed and handling capabilities of a lot of other cars, but once you arrive at that Elise... Mm. There won't be any other car that does that for you in your life, Sebastian. Okay. And you don't need to keep doing stuff to the Elise to make it blank. I hear that. I hear that. I am going to give you some options, Sebastian. And the reason I'm giving you options is because of that original four car list we had at the beginning. I don't want you to lionize the Elise as I'm just going to hang on until I have that car. It may be the Holy Grail for you, kind of like it is for me. It may be the car where you're like, I'm here and I'm done. Maybe. But I want you to get there with experience in your back pocket. I want you to okay, get there having fair, driven lots of fair. other things. I think the Elise would actually require less sacrifice in your daily life than the Sylvia does. Just by Probably. being left-hand drive and ready to go as Probably. it is. Probably. I want you to swap out and shop used cars. And I, the place I want you to start is our $8,000 cheap car video. I'd like you to try to find and drive as many of those cars as you possibly can. Because again, the MR2 Spider is in that video, as is the Boxster Z3 and Z4. All of these could be bought outright for what you could sell your Sylvia for. All Mm -hmm. of them would have driving dynamics, I think, that are along the lines of your Sylvia, but more user-friendly because they're left-hand drive. You said you stayed away from the Miata, but my question is, you haven't driven one. That's a good I understand, point. but yeah. drive it because it's good, okay? Drive a, drive a first-gen Boxster, the 986. Those are cheap, and they're out there. Mm. The other thing, yeah. I think, to get around your problems with trying to test drive stuff is we're talking now about you looking up on Auto Tempest and buying a used car, which means you can drive it from a private owner or a small dealer. They're going to let you drive it. You need to show up, be respectful, be knowledgeable, and be teachable. Mm-hmm. If you're going to show up as a 20-year-old wanting to drive somebody's private car listing, be very respectful of the car they're trying to sell. Don't come across like a joyrider. Yes. Come across, Agreed. express to them why you're there, what you're driving for, what you're seeking out. They will respect that. That's a different conversation with a private owner than it is with a dealer. So I think you need to start shopping cars off of that $8,000 quote-unquote cheap car video and see what you like. 
I like the Elise for you, but I think there's other driving experience to be had first and also sooner. I'm worried about you driving that Sylvia until you don't like it anymore or something else breaks or you I try to do the engine swap. I that point already. Exactly. You try to do the engine swap. You spend a bunch more money. Why not get out of it while you are on the, on the right side of it? Mm-hmm. Get a new experience. See where that leads you. I'm in total agreement that you need to have driving experiences. Just allow your taste to change as you age. Absolutely, yes, yes. Just allow mm-hmm. yourself that, and maybe that means eventually you'll get in a lease and that doesn't leave your life, but other cars will come along. You'll experience other cars mm-hmm. that you also want to own, mm-hmm. and because of your life changes, you're going to need to make some compromise. You're gonna need a larger car for long road trips or something like that, just for her family or mm-hmm. yeah. you know, just a, a different need altogether. And maybe the lease isn't a daily, maybe it just doesn't work out. But the Sylvia and this new build that you're trying to make a track weapon, those two cars, you're, you're trying to build an Elise out of two cars. <laughs> that is a fair point. But I also believe you can't just say, well, the Elise there's, there's no other car and it's the perfect one and that's just the one car. There's so many great drives out there yeah, and yeah. so many things to appreciate and experience about other cars. So maybe it's in addition to, but I like that you're wanting to get experience and you should. But I know once you reach an Elise and if you're in that headspace, you will think this is the best thing ever and <laughs> every car should handle like this and they can't because they can't be built like Elise's anymore. You're right, it's not possible anymore. Y- you simply can't. <laughs> There's, it's it's funny to have the question of why don't they build them like this anymore? And the answer is they can't. <laughs> that's it. That's that's really the reality. There's other cars though that are so good, and so just allow your taste to change and allow your fleet to grow as you age. We got one cool letter that we want to share a little bit of before we get into your really great questions and answers. And you guys are awesome for responding on social media. But Isaac wrote in, and he made both of us pay attention because the title of his email simultaneously made me feel old that also made me feel like we've been doing this for a while. And that is, he said, we have been the soundtrack to 20% of his life. He is also 20. In his sophomore year of high school, 2019, he got his first job. It's also the moment that he had his long dormant car disease reignited by a 63 split window Corvette. And he has since discovered us and he's listened to every episode of the podcast and watched almost all the videos over the last four years. And so he sat down to do the math. I'm never happy when somebody does the math. No. And Isaac realized if I'm 20 and I've been following these guys consistently for four years, they have influenced 20% of my life. (laughs) Isaac, I'm amazed by your email. I really appreciate you listening and pointing all this out. It does feel strange that that's been the case, but I love that it's ignited the disease and mm-hmm. you do rattle on about the cars that you love and just know that not everybody is into cars like all of us listening. True, yes. And just yes. watch for the glaze in people's <laughs> eyes as you start to mention and then temper your conversation. Conversation is all about the art of mm. conversation and mm. you know making sure when you mention something, do they just instantly tune out? You can see it in their eyes. You want to keep them engaged, ask them about, hey, where are you traveling this summer? And keep them engaged. Don't just bury them in car stats and statistics and you know stuff that you love. If you find that person, great. Yeah. Have at it. Yeah. But just be careful with all of those people out there that aren't so serious about it. Well, and Isaac, I'm also a little floored because you said you've listened to a lot of our podcasts at one and a half speed. We don't talk slowly. <laughs> so amazing. one and a half speed of us is you're flying through them, my amazing. friend. But thank you for listening. That's amazing. On Facebook, Colin Cutler says, what car manufacturer has moved furthest away from their roots? Mm. What's caused this? The shift in people's interest? For example, you know, only buying SUVs or the shift to electric vehicles. And by contrast, which brands have remained close to their roots? Mm. What do you have here? Uh, I, I do think, Colin, that you've identified things... You know, of course, the market shift and companies wanting to make more money and companies needing to build other kinds Mm -hmm. of cars, Porsche, with Mm -hmm. their Panameras Mm -hmm. and Cayennes to support the 911 habit. Yes, that has definitely changed things. But I think Porsche is still very close to their roots. I think Chevy is still close to their roots. Okay. Ford is another story for me. Because years ago, we talked about Ford offering something for Mm -hmm. enthusiasts at every level. 
and then they stopped building cars and then the fun hatchbacks and those all went away and they've they've gone through a big change mm. they're still in a lot of turmoil as they decide the direction and yeah, yeah. you know they're they're dealing with wall street let's just say that but i think toyota is actually doing really well i and, actually you know what which one i think is strayed the most bmw that's a good one yeah because bmw up through the 90s, okay? Remember in the 1990s, we had Pierce Brosnan as James Bond, and BMW was the official car of James Bond, mm -hmm. much to Aston Martin's chagrin. Yeah. But that yeah. was also peak BMW. Late, <laughs> yeah. two, late 90s, early 2000s. Was B, that was when they were the ultimate driving machine, was their, yes. was their branding, and that was when, I mean, BMW was having, here's the thing, BMW was having trouble not having a hit I'm not talking a volume sales leader. I'm talking a car that when driven by journalists and people that knew, people were like, oh yeah, that BMW is awesome. Mm. We are 20 years later from that era. E46 BMW M3s are 20 years old. Yes, Dang they it. are. Yes, they are. Dang it. Z3, Z4s, the early ones are, are that. Okay. The 7 Series BMW that we love the most, the really long, boxy 7 Series. Yeah. That, oh, that was that era too. I also like the Shorty 40. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, Short wheelbase. So, so, I mean, that's the thing. This was when BMW was everything they were known for. They weren't the volume seller. They weren't Mercedes. They weren't doing the Audi interiors. But if you, want, if you were a driver, you bought a BMW. That's true. You didn't buy the others. You bought the BMW. And now we're having conversations about their EV, their new SUV, their questionable styling, their big monster whatever. Because, mm -hmm. and look, business-wise, I, I see the logic. They're chasing sales, they're chasing market share, and they're chasing making money because they're a business, not a charity. True. I get it. True. But we are not making the ultimate driving machine anymore. The styling is, is controversial. The driving on some of them is great. Watch our new M2 Amira P, I mean, the M2 and the uh, Camaro and the Super Piece, okay? Mm -hmm. yeah. The M2 is great to drive. Very hard to look at. But very good to drive. So the M people still know what they're doing. But you can buy. Here's the thing: you can buy a BMW now, that's fine to drive. Yeah, yeah. You used to be able to buy their base models and still be like, BMW just knows what they're doing, right? Their stuff's just good. <laughs> and now they true. make cars that are fine. I think Toyota has stayed close to their roots, even though they've had these two collaborations with the uh, GT and GR86 and the Supra. Because they're still all about bringing fun sports cars and fun driving to their customers yeah. and still doing a lot of innovation. Okay, so they had to partner up to be able to do that. Okay, fine. We all won because of it. They mm. build mm. the GR86 and the Supra are amazing cars. They're fantastic. The trucks, the SUVs, they've got a broad product lineup yeah, yeah. and they're constantly innovating. But they're bringing people what they want to buy and then the build quality is still very, very high. I like Toyota that... They, they are staying close to their roots, as you term it, Colin. On Instagram, our friend Mystic Negro is back. Haven't heard a question from him in a while, but this is a really good one. He said, over the past 20 years, he and his wife have owned four two-door cars. And each one seems to have a more swoopy design than the last one, less headroom than the last one, but is somehow bigger. What is going on, is he saying, is the death of the coupe, should it be laid to the feet of the fact that they barely function as cars anymore. Mystic Negro, I, I love this observation. You're, you're a big guy like us, and I love that you like two doors so much, and you're right. In the product planning cycle, once the SUV, and I'm theorizing here, once the SUV world started to take off, I think that on some level freed up product planners to be like, oh, but you know, if they need space, they'll buy an SUV. Because we used to have cars that, because they didn't have to have all of the tech or whatever and the thinner A-pillars and however you want to go, you had cars that were small that had space. Mm. My Elise, mm -hmm. while quite difficult to get in and out of, has a surprising amount of space once I'm in. <laughs> the C8 Corvette it's true. It's is true. almost twice the size of the Elise in footprint. It's not. I'm exaggerating. But it's, it's a huge car. In by, comparison, by it's by huge. Comparison. Yeah, yeah. And yet you would think it would be like, there's so much room in here. It's very comfortable. But I'm never in it going, I just have all this extra room <laughs> compared to the Elise of all things. I mean, there so, is. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, I'm not saying is, it's not roomier because it, it, but, it is. But you would think it would be far roomier than it is. But I really think that as product planners have decided, people that are buying a coupe don't need space. 
People that are buying a coupe, if they need space, are going to buy an SUV. And we end up with products, mid-grade products, like the Acura TLX, which looks amazing, drives amazing, is four doors, and somehow is a 2 plus 2 in space. Bradley J, 1983, on Instagram says, Best advice for safely pushing a car hard off track. What you're asking is how to push a car hard on a public road. We do this. We love it. It's fun. Okay? I'm going to put that out there. We are also as careful as we can be while pushing. The biggest thing I'm going to say about how to try to find any kind of like, oh, dynamic fun out of your car on a public road, one of the things that happens is if you see, uh, I got to be careful here, a speed limit sign for a corner. This corner is 20 miles an hour. That was set up because everything will get around that corner at 20 miles an hour. Your RV and your Miata will both get around that corner at 20 miles an hour. Fair. That's how they have to plan for it. Yes. It doesn't mean take your RV at 60. Please don't. (laughs) It also doesn't mean that your Miata might not do it at 45 and feel amazing. If you want to actually push a car at all on a public road, you need to know the road backwards and forwards. You know, like downhill skiers or guys about to do the luge or bobsled, you see them sitting there on camera right before they go and, and their head's bobbing. Their eyes are closed, their head's bobbing. They're mm-hmm. doing the run before they go. Mm-hmm. They know mm-hmm. the run. You have to know the road. Never go out to push your car on a road you don't know. 100%. A road you've never driven before. That's great advice. I'm just going to go out. I've heard there's a cool road. I'm going to go out and push my... Oh, no. You will get surprised by a corner. You need to know that. I need to be able to ask you what corner is coming up. And you know. That's the first thing. That's good. The one I'm going to say beyond that is you still have to leave a margin for error. And I'm going to define this in a weird way. Because people talk about tenths. Oh, I was at seven tenths. Oh, I was at nine tenths. That's different for everyone. Only going four tenths. That's different for every person in the car. But here's what I'm going to say the way to, to define that. You need to look for the speed that makes you go, huh, that was quick. Not the speed that makes you go, whoa, that was close. Mm. That's the difference. Mm. Just enough that you start to feel like, oh, okay, that, 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 was, that was a quick corner back there. That was fun. But I barely made that. You're pushing too hard. You have to be fine actually completely accepting that it's only for you. Mm. And nobody else is watching. If you're doing this for the entertainment of other people, that's when things go wrong. Oh, that's Always. Good. That's very good. Yeah. But you have to know and you have to seek out being alone on that road by yourself. Yeah, even don't in, go anywhere there's traffic. You know, even if there's one or two other people, you're still kind of impressing someone else. You're still trying to keep mm, up with each mm, other mm. and no passengers. You're doing mm. it for you and for you alone. And therefore, you're not doing it to impress your passenger. You're not doing it to impress the person ahead of you or behind you. You're not doing it to impress a crowd of people. It's only for you. It is a singular moment. It's only for you. That means your attention is where it should be because all these distractions, I I got this. I can show somebody else this is how it's done. Mm -hmm. That's when things literally go wheels off. (laughs) It's only for you in that moment. And it's a singular thing. It's Mm, only you. That's good. There's a very strange track daily crush for me from Andy Lamb, 85. <laughs> I've never done this with people. And so I want to be also careful because I don't condone. It's not crush anybody. That's <laughs> I, I know what you mean, metaphorically speaking, but this is with designers. Okay. All right. uh, it's Giorgetto Giugiaro, Ken Okiyama, and Ferdinand Porsche. Mm. Track daily crush. Mm. Andy wants me to base my decision on all the cars for each category mm. as designed by the designer of choice here. And again, no, no, uh, no crushing of you're human look, beings. You're looking no, at a body of work, a, a body not a work. person. That, that's a great yes, way of putting looking it. Looking at so, somebody's body of work. Excellent. So, of course, Porsche, I'm thinking in terms of track driving. Even though I'm aware Ken's done some amazing Ferraris and Maseratis, the Porsches, of course, are, are track priority for me. But Giorgetto Giugiaro, do you know the list of cars mm. that he has done throughout his life? I mean, as of this recording, the man is 84 years old. He's even done tires for our new friends at Vredestein. Mm-hmm. He's done the tire design for Vredestein tires, which is incredible. And they look great. And I love that he's applied his design thinking to tires. He's done the Volkswagen Golf, the Mark I Golf. 
He did the DeLorean, the De Tomaso Mangusta. He's done a, a huge long body of cars. And all these cars have different purposes. They're not all sports mm-hmm. cars. They're mm-hmm. not, not, they're not all, they, they vary in terms of what their purpose is in the market. And that's the mark of a good designer. Ken Okiyama has done some amazing things, but I have to say the daily goes to Giorgetto Giorgiaro's body of work. The okay. track goes to Porsche's body of work and the crush. I hate to say it because there's only one left. Mm. Mr. Okiyama, his body of work, even though I really appreciate what he's done. I mean, we're talking about NSX and Paul, how can you take the yeah. first gen NSX yeah, off but the table? Somebody's got to go, but yeah. somebody's got to go. You're right. Couple of questions about the Lexus IS 500 you actually posted for the pictures today to get conversations going, and uh, somebody has asked the IS 500 or love this the Cadillac Blackwing. I'm going to say without driving the Cadillac Blackwing, the Blackwing, and that also leads to Vitjazel also on on Twitter is asking what part of the IS 500 do we feel that could most use improvement for future generations of the IS? Well, first off, the interior needs improvement, but that will come no matter what because Lexus has updated their uh, interface and it can only go get better from where it was. So that will happen naturally. But Lexus has always put like the, the ISF prior. Somebody asked if the ISF or the, the new IS 500, which is better. I think the IS 500 is the more coherent car. The ISF always felt like a really great engine and a car that was trying to keep up. This mm. IS 500 feels really, really just complete. But back to questions on what could be improved, Lexus is apparently chasing something they're calling the Lexus driving signature. Mm. Yes. And they're all, yes. they've also they've built themselves a track with corners from all over the world. It's very Japanese thinking. They're gonna they're gonna make great stuff. I'm sure they will. But the thing is, Lexus has always been about isolating the driver. That's been their kind of plan from the beginning. So when they've made cars that are high performance, they seem to be working against the grain of a of a car company that already is trying to make cars that isolate you. So something like the IS 500. I'd like it to be more raw, a little more Cadillac Blackwing. Mm, yes, Can Lexus yes. find something that feels like it's still connected to other Lexus products, but the ones that are high performance feel like they're being driver's cars first with Lexus build quality? Hmm. Well, speaking of that, last question for me from Hot Blue E210, asking if we had to eliminate Toyota or Honda and all of their sister companies, Ooh. which would you eliminate? <laughs> Isn't This is hard. That kills great stuff on both sides. It really does. Yeah. And as much as I love the new Civic Type R, and we've got plans for the Integra Type S, and as good as I think Hondas are, having grown up in a Honda family and grown up with Hondas, I'm really all about the body of work from Toyota Mm. because they have brought us specific rear-wheel drive sports cars too, in fact. I've mentioned them before, and those are excellent cars. They're catering to those enthusiast needs. And then they build little crazy hot rods like the GR Corolla. While still making one of the best minivans and SUVs, and I see where you're going. The Tundra is excellent, and they got the Prius, which actually looks cool for the first time ever. And and, and if you want MPG, Prius, 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 yeah. I I realize the two companies' sizes are vastly different, but uh, I'm going to Toyota. Wow. Guys, thank you so much for all your questions. We really appreciate it. Write to us every day, drivertv at gmail.com for all your Topic Tuesdays, your car conclusions, and most of all, your car debates. Yep. We love getting your emails and love hearing from you. Sorry, we can't always answer everyone's questions, but we do love the vast number. And if you really want to, please keep asking on social media. And uh, yeah, send us your debates. Looking forward to next time. As always, cheers, everyone. <laughs>